Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.41 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 6th of October, 2021. This is episode 489 of... Bitcoin, and if you want your wheels washed, you can get it done by these two lovely ladies for 6,000 sats or five bucks. Of course, they're offering the Lightning Network. This is at Pixie and Zoe. That's Pixie and Zoe, all one word, who have a tweet out with a picture of them with this, you know, it's two girls with this cardboard sign that they've made and Uh, They say, in the years ahead, we will be experimenting with building a business using Bitcoin Lightning as our preferred money. Our preferred LN wallet is Wallet of Satoshi. Nice cross-marketing there, girls. These young ladies look like they are actually pretty young. However, it's very possible because they are wearing sunglasses, so it's kind of very difficult to tell if they're sisters or if one is just a young mother and her daughter, but one of these girls is is pretty damn young. Anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. That came across the Twitter feed early this morning, and I thought I'd uh, start off the show with that because <clears throat> I would like to do the same thing in the place where I live. Uh, getting groups, you know, getting some people together that are vendors of goods and services to start co- at least contemplating using the lightning network and i don't know just you know start out just by offering hey we'll give you a five percent discount if you use the lightning network to buy this good or service just to see just to start testing this thing in a small rural community in the middle of the texas panhandle and see what the hell happens you know i will it work i don't know I, i i literally don't know How to put it together, shit, I don't know that crap either. We're all in a brand new world, so, but I think there's something there. I think El Salvador has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that there are at least more than, there. there's an amount of people more than we think that are willing to, you know, give this thing a a role. And God knows, people, we got to do something, okay? We've got to do something. This is, this is, has become has been ridiculous. <clears throat> it's been a veritable clown world. It's been a dumpster fire. And we've been saying it for years, and now it's time to actually do something about it. Because we can sit here and we fucking pontificate all morning long about just how bad the world is. And, oh my God, these, these people hate us. And we can say that and say that and say that until we're blue in the face. And guess what? Ain't shit gonna change. There's only one change for us upon the horizon, and that's actually us that's on the horizon. You you get my drift? You you see what I'm saying here? Now, let's talk about about, uh, this county employee who has been accused of hiding 
a Bitcoin mining operation under the floor at work and racking up a $6,000 electrical bill. This is by uh, Colin McClelland from the Financial Post. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, this is hilarious. A New York State uh, County employee brings new meaning to the phase, energize your work. The IT supervisor allegedly wove cryptocurrency mining into his workspace, draining what could turn out to be tens of thousands of dollars in energy expenses from a Long Island local government office. <laughs> Christopher Naples now faces a slew of charges, including public corruption and grand larceny that could potentially send him to jail for 15 years. Mining for cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin requires networks of computers to crunch numbers, leading to exorbitant electricity costs. While miners could use one home computer to find Bitcoin in 2009 when it started, the system keeps the amount of Bitcoin production stable by making it more difficult as more miners join the industry. Now, mining rigs require tens of thousands of dollars of investment. <clears throat> Naples allegedly had some, get this, 46 machines hidden under floors, in walls, and disused electrical panels <clears throat> at the Suffolk County Center in Riverhead, New York. Initially, officials calculated just 10 of the machines in use since February racked up $6,000 in electric bills. It's likely the remaining units cost thousands more, Timothy Sinai, the Suffolk County District Attorney, told the news conference this month. Charging at the same rate would mean a total approaching $30,000 in electricity usage. Quote, we're talking about an enormous amount of energy, Sinai said. Not only do we have thousands of dollars of taxpayer money funding this operation, but it also put the county's infrastructure at risk, end quote. Investigators became suspicion, suspicious after county internet systems slowed and the office required air conditioning repairs. Mining rigs typically throw off huge amounts of heat. The amount of energy spent globally on cryptocurrency mining is estimated at 91 terawatt hours a year or more than all of Finland's consumption. Yeah, Finland ain't all that big, dude. According to the New York Times, <clears throat> that has prompted environmentalists to protest the cryptocurrency's adoption, but it also faces regulatory hurdles in many countries concerned that criminals, of course, use its trans-border fluidity to launder money while evading oversight, poor official exchange rates, and traditional banking fees. <clears throat> Still, some countries are attracted to Bitcoin. El Salvador became the first country to accept it as legal tender. Laos said this week it wants to encourage mining operations on its territory because it has a surplus of hydropower. Alberta Premier Jason Kinney has suggested similar opportunities. Now, traders in Vietnam, Brazil, and Nigeria are using it as many in emerging economies seek to sidestep weak local currencies, inflation, inept regulation, and slow banking systems. But in developed economies, scrutiny is intensifying as the use of cryptocurrency spreads a disruption in the financial system, exposing consumers and markets to potential dangers such as hacking, uninsured losses, and swindles. In August, hackers stole $600 million from one cryptocurrency platform, Poly Network, though they eventually returned it after the company promised them a $500,000 reward and a job. It's unclear if the job was accepted. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has set up a special office to track cryptocurrency developments and propose regulations. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet the Felon Yellen have expressed grave concerns about cryptocurrency. <clears throat> In Canada, multiple agencies 
are on the case on how to regulate or incorporate the currency, including the Bank of Canada, the National Research Council, and stock exchange owner TMX Group. So, you know, but back in Suffolk County on the east end of Long Island, it's unclear how much Bitcoin Naples was actually able to mint. He's out of work, but maybe there's a job opening at Poly Network. Naples has been released on his own recognizance. That seems to be the current state of the cryptocurrency industry in general. At large, pending good behavior, but also facing suspicions. <laughs> this Honestly, it's not bad. It could, the article isn't bad. It could have been a lot worse. They could have really dug into the ESG narrative and, and, and just fallen in line, but they seemed to have a fairly, you know, a balanced view of, of what they see without, you know, going too far off into the weeds on what they think it means of having more energy usage than a small country like Finland, right? <clears throat> However, the underlying tone here is honestly reinforcing what I've been saying on this show for a year. The West, or quote, the developed countries, are going to turn into undeveloped countries while the undeveloped countries will turn into the developed countries. Do you see how this works? This is what's called creative destruction. <clears throat> it just happens to be on a grand scale. This is like a worldwide global scale. And you are going to see countries that have been languishing in abject poverty for decades become wealthy beyond their wildest imaginings. And if the people will get a spine and keep their governments in check, and I mean by physically keeping them in check, they may have a real shot at becoming the world's next superpower. I know that sounds really dumb because, well, because the U.S. Navy. I mean, let's, let's be really honest here. <clears throat> but... If we, as the United States and the other developed countries, do not figure this shit out and figure out which way the wind is blowing and why it's blowing in that direction is really important, we're going to we're going to lose the race. This is no longer an ar this is sort of an arms race, but it's not an arms race in the way that your daddy's arm race was. This arms race is about the language of money. Who gets to speak it? who gets to hear it, and who benefits from the understanding of it. I just, I, I'm telling you, man, Latin America, the continent of Africa, the Balkans, the Baltics, and way Eastern Europe, these are the five places on the globe that have the most to gain from Bitcoin. And they are going to gain from Bitcoin, and in while while in the west we have a choice we can gain from bitcoin too or we can start going the way of the dodo because that's what's going to happen and you got u.s senator warren leading that charge of us going the way of the dodo because she wants to introduce a bill to study crypto's role in ransomware hello crypto pandemic narrative we are well on the way and they signaled this shit at Davos and the World Economic Forum and all those places and all those people, they were signaling this shit in the middle of the pandemic. There were articles being written about, oh, you think the pandemic's bad? Wait till the cyber pan pandemic hits. Every time these assholes signal something like that, six months to nine months later, the actual thing happens. Who do you think's behind it? You think it's a coincidence? 
You think they have like a special intelligence that they knew that a group of people that they do not control are doing X, Y, and Z? No, of course not. They control it. And here's why. Arjit Sarkar has it for Cointelegraph. As cryptocurrency adoption continues apace in the United States, lawmakers want to better understand how it's used for both legal and illegal purposes. The Ransom Disclosure Act, introduced by Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Deborah Ross, would require victims of ransomware attacks to disclose information about ransom payments to the Department of Homeland Security. That's right. The bill, introduced on Tuesday, aims to gather critical data on fiat and cryptocurrency payments and protect investors from cyber crimes. Oh, no. Protect us from freaking taxes while you're at it. The bill, introduced on Tuesday, aims to gather critical data on fiat cryptocurrency payments and protect investors from cybercrimes in an ongoing effort to curb illicit financial activities in the U.S. Warren's legislation aims to develop a fuller picture of ransomware attacks. Quote, my bill with Congresswoman Ross would set disclosure requirements when ransoms are paid and allow us to learn how much money cyber criminals are siphoning from American entities to finance criminal enterprises and help us go after them. Yeah, it's not going to help like you think it's going to help. The bill will also support a study to find links between cryptocurrencies and their role in ransomware attacks led by the Secretary of Homeland Security. The gathered information will be used to provide recommendations for improving the nation's cybersecurity. Bullshit. As Ross pointed out, U.S. investors are not yet required to report ransomware payments, which, according to her, is key to countering ransomware attacks. Bullshit. The new legislation will implement important reporting requirements, including the amount of ransom demanded and paid and the type of currency used, she said. The bill would also require ransomware victims in the U.S. to disclose ransoms within 48 hours of payment through a website to be set up by DHS. Well, I hope you roll that son of a bitch out better than Obamacare was rolled out because that was a dumpster fire. While federal authorities continue to introduce bills to regulate the crypto market, a report shared by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission urges Congress to clarify the status of digital assets to make clear when it is a security. Moreover, a recent bill from Monday, the Clarity for Digital Tokens Act of 2021, requests the SEC for a safe harbor for certain token projects proposed by Representative Patrick McHenry. The bill suggests an amendment to the Securities Act of 1933 that would allow projects to offer cryptocurrency tokens without registering with authorities for up to three years. Probably just a fad, right? They're coming for the regulation, but they're coming for the regulation. Why? You don't regulate shit that doesn't matter. Remember the time when they, like government officials and whatnot, were not worried about Bitcoin because it was just going to go away. And all their buddies like Warren Buffett and Peter Schiff and all the rest of them were saying that there's just no way that we need to worry about Bitcoin. No, no, no. Well, now, now it's different, isn't it? And we'll we'll go on with why it's different. Fifth largest U.S. retail bank to launch Bitcoin custody services. Bitcoin Magazine's Alex McShane has this one today. The fifth largest retail bank in the nation, U.S. Bank, is expected to announce that its Bitcoin custody services are available to fund managers, CNBC reported. The service will custody Bitcoin private keys for fund managers through a partnership with NYDIG, Gunjan Kida, 
vice chair of the bank's Wealth Management Investment Services division told CNBC, it is likely the fund managers, U.S. Bank and NYDIG will all partake in a multi-signature Bitcoin private key solution, which requires a majority of private key holders to sign off before Bitcoin can be spent and is broadly understood to be a strong security method for institutional buyers. Quote, our clients are getting very serious about the potential of cryptocurrency as a diversified asset class, Kita said in the interview. I don't believe there's a single asset manager that isn't thinking about it right now. Probably just a fad. After surveying U.S. Bank's biggest clients to determine their interest in Bitcoin, she found that the demand was broad and that clients wanted the bank to move quickly. Quote, what we are hearing across the board is that while every currency might not survive, there may not be room for thousands of coins. There's something about the potential of this asset class and the underlying technology that would be prudent for us to stand up and show support for it, Kida said. Or Kadia, however you pronounce her name. U.S. Bank will be among the first institutions to have a live institutional custody product available. While it may seem at first ironic that the currency was born in spite of trusted third parties, self-custodying Bitcoin is simply not an option for some institutional investors. A custodial Bitcoin solution in many cases provides price exposure where otherwise there would be none. The Bitcoin custodial product is currently only available for institutional managers with private funds in the United States or the Cayman Islands, according to the bank. Still, the demand for more Bitcoin products such as an EFT is rising. Quote, we have lots of funds who are hoping to invest in ETFs, Kadia said. Some literally want custody contracts signed the day the SEC approves an an EFT. My God, boy, they're chomping at the bit over here. U.S. Bank with more than $8.6 trillion That's 8.6 trillion with a T in assets under management is just the latest in a line of banks to get involved with Bitcoin. This comes after a year of increased demand for Bitcoin by institutional investors. Notably, the Bank of New York Mellon, among other traditionally conservative financial institutions, has announced plans to custody Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as well. Yeah, hashtag probably just a fad, right? It's going to go away soon, right? Right, Peter? It's just, it's all going to zero. <clears throat> That's why the fifth largest retail bank, the third largest bank, are going to roll out crypto <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and Bitcoin custody services. That's <clears throat> why Senator Warren is writing bills about ransomware and it, the use of cryptocurrency to make those payments and the ability to track those payments, quote unquote, for our safety. Bullshit. Still, though, the wind is blowing in a certain direction. Why? I mentioned that before, and I didn't get into it. The people of the world are sick to death. uh, We are. The population, the general population, the people that don't get to go to Switzerland and ski with the Davos crew. You know, the the guys that don't get invited to get on a private jet and go speak at the World Economic Forum. All us little plebs out here that watch these people do all the things that they do and cause all the trouble that they cause, seemingly without any ability to change the tide, suddenly, suddenly and very seriously now have a tool. And that tool is being applied and used and is spreading like a virus in places that the United States and the rest of the developed countries never had to worry about. 
Never had to worry about Africa. We never had to worry about Latin America. Certainly didn't give a shit about Eastern Europe, except the spread of communism from the Ruskies and shit like that. But now things are different, and they're scrambling. And banks honestly see their demise with the advent of CBDCs, because guess what? With CBDCs and uh, central bank accounts for citizenry of the world, guess who isn't really needed at that point? Retail banks. Do you think they're just going to say, okay? It, this is the exact same thing when we talk about, do you think, how, how to phrase this? Um, <clears throat> when people say, do you think the governments are just going to roll over and let you have Bitcoin? Yeah, because the retail banks are also not going to just roll over and be handed their hat. They're not. And every single one of them that gets into custodying Bitcoin for their customers are going to have a legal team that far outstrips the United States Attorney General's office. It will. I shit you not. And, the, and guess what? The guys that work for the AG are not as good of a lawyer as the people that work for Wells Fargo, the people that work for U.S. Bank, the people that work for Bank of America. Do I like these guys? No, I do not. However, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And when I see the CBDCs rise in some of the language that is around the CBDC, it becomes very clear to me that retail banks are squarely also in the crosshairs because they will be given their hat and they do not want to leave the party just yet. But they might go see a movie at AMC Theaters, which is debuting crypto payments for e-gift card purchases. Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph. American cinema giant AMC Theaters is steadily approaching its goal of accepting cryptocurrency payments by year end, now debuting crypto purchases for electronic gift cards. AMC customers can now buy digital gift cards with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin directly through the AMC website, mobile app, and theaters, CEO Adam Aaron announced on October the 5th. The new payment option was enabled through major crypto payment processor. Oh no, BitPay. Oh God, allowing consumers to purchase e-cards of up to $200, Aaron noted. The CEO paid special attention to Dogecoin. <laughs> God, it gets worse. Among the digital assets accepted for AMC e-card purchases, Aaron hinted in September that AMC will include Doge in the list of cryptocurrencies accepted for tickets by the end of 2021. Aaron had conducted a poll of 140,000 people on Twitter asking the community whether AMC should accept Doge payments for tickets. Quote, it's clear that you think AMC should accept the dog coin. Now we need to figure out how to do that. Stay tuned, Aaron said at the time. As previously reported, Aaron introduced, or rather announced, the company's plan to accept Bitcoin payments for movie tickets in August, expecting to roll out the new payment option by 2022. The movie chain also plans to support four other cryptocurrencies, the aforementioned Doge, Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, and Shitcoin 3. And actually, there's four shitcoins there. I just said the word Doge, but whatever. Earlier this year, Major Cineplex Group, the largest movie theater operator in Thailand, launched a payment pilot allowing customers to buy tickets with crypto. All right, so the wind is blowing. <clears throat> Where is it blowing? It's not blowing in the direction of movie theaters. And I don't mean that because they're taking crypto uh, and Bitcoin payments. What I mean is that I, I think you're going to see a very large decrease in the amount of physical 
stand-up brick-and-mortar movie theaters, the ones that do survive, we'll we'll know who really understands what an event of going to the movies means. I don't think that there's a lot of them. I think these people really think about how much can we charge for a hot dog and not be laughed at? You know, how much can we charge for, you know, a bunch of sugar and not be laughed at? They want concessions. Only the movie theaters that are owned and operated by people that truly love going to the movies and what going to the movies actually means will survive. But there's not going to be like, you know, a hundred movie theaters in Dallas. There's going to be maybe five (laughs) because of streaming. So this is, you know, I look at this and I'm like, oh, yay, it's, you know, the, we're, we've, we've, we're proving that Bitcoin is going to be used for everything. No, they're just throwing a lifeline because they see they're writing on the wall. The pandemic, damn, I'm surprised <clears throat> AMC is even still open, honestly. But be that as it may, we've got better fish to fry. So let's do this one. Gresham's Law does not apply to Bitcoin in El Salvador. This is Rolo McFlogel or McFlugel, M-C-F-L-O-O-G-L-E, you tell me. Bitcoin Magazine, Austrian economists have long been interested in the study of money and the process of monetization. The last global monetary standard that developed largely through market forces, gold, occurred well before the Austrians had performed their work on the topic. The advent of the digital monetary network known as Bitcoin gives the Austrian the utterly rare opportunity to observe the reordering of global economic life as an emergent sound money takes aim at slaying the existing fiat structures. Like an analysis of any other topic, it is critical to understand and apply the foundational principles of Austrian economics to properly develop conclusions about the monetization process of Bitcoin. A study on the effects of minimum wage laws cannot be trusted without a firm grasp of the law of demand. Likewise, the study of the recent law in El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender requires the proper application of Gresham's law. In a recent Mises wire, Christopher Mouston Hansen applies Gresham's law to Bitcoin's legal tender status in El Salvador to predict that the scheme would backfire for Bitcoin and the citizens of the country. While it remains to be seen how this all plays out, we can largely dismiss Hansen's conclusions because he employs a faulty understanding of Gresham's law. His analysis has two fatal flaws, the first being explicit and the second one implicit. Number one, Gresham's law can be applied to any law with dual legal tenders without regard to the structure of the scheme. And two, the economic interactions between Bitcoin and the U.S. dollar will occur in a vacuum in El Salvador without interactions with global markets. Hansen does a good job of defining and explaining Gresham's Law, which does conclude that bad money drives out good money. It is important to briefly examine why that happens. With a fixed exchange rate between two legal tenders, people will be incentivized to hold on to the better money and sell the worse money. However, those beholden to these legal tender laws will have the incentive to transport the better money out of their jurisdiction and into ones without the fixed exchange rate where they enjoy a better exchange rate because an arbitrage opportunity will almost undoubtedly exist. As a result, the better money will be exported out until no one possesses it in the place where the legal tender law applies. There's something wrong here. 
El Salvador is explicitly not fixing the exchange rate between the dollar and Bitcoin, a point that Hansen does in fact acknowledge. How does that affect our analysis? In his book, The Ethics of Money Production, Jorge Guido Huzman writes, quote, legal tender laws would be a mere complication of exchanges were it not for an additional stipulation that is virtually always combined with them. Indeed, legal tender laws typically establish a legal or fiat equivalence between the privileged money and the other monies and money certificates, end quote. So how can we apply Gresham's law to a situation where the fixed exchange rate does not exist? Hansen attempts to do so by saying, quote, however, while there is no fixed exchange rate, you still have two currencies that are equally serviceable in canceling obligations. This fiat equivalence means that their legal power, if only due to the intervention of the state, is the same. End quote. If we follow the link to the essay Hansen provides, we find another work by Hulsman who explains the concept of fiat equivalence as, quote, it belongs to the very nature of legal tender laws that they establish an imposed equivalence between the privileged medium of exchange, the legal tender, and other media of exchange. The legislator wishes to impose the use of his pet medium of exchange, but this presupposes that he defines the rate at which the market participants have to accept it. For example, if most contracts have so far been denominated in silver and copper, whereas our legislator wishes to impose his own paper slips, he must determine the rates of equivalence between these slips and specific weights of silver and copper. He further elucidates the concept, quote, the expression fiat equivalence may sound somewhat awkward, but it is more precise than the more familiar term price control for it allows us to cover cases in which prices do not exist in the first place. For example, the introduction of U.S. greenbacks in 1862 was not based on price controls because the greenbacks did not yet circulate, so there was no price that could have been controlled. Rather, the U.S. government ordered that creditors accept paper slips called dollars on equal footing with the coins and banknotes that bore the same name. Thus, there existed a fiat equivalence of greenbacks and specie but no price control, end quote. <clears throat> Put more simply, fiat equivalence is the act by a government to demonstrably choose the monetary value of some medium of exchange that is different from the monetary value that the market would assign to it. Hansen conflates the legal requirement to accept both Bitcoin and dollars as payment and Hulsman's definition of fixing their exchange rate while providing Hulsman's definition as evidence that contradicts Hansen's own point. Given this understanding of both Gresham's Law and Legal Tender Laws of El Salvador, what can we expect will happen? In What Has Government Done to Our Money, Murray Rothbard states that it is the interference of government decrees via price controls that keep the bad money from being driven from the market. If price controls do not exist, then the, hold the holders of the better money, in this case Bitcoin, will not have an incentive to trade their Bitcoin for dollars outside of El Salvador. Instead, they'll do their best to hoard their Bitcoin while opting to use dollars when they need to spend money, if they have any. Their preference for holding Bitcoin will even result in a premium for accepting dollars as payment. This increases the price of Bitcoin in terms of dollars for the local exchange rate in El Salvador, which creates an incentive for people outside of El Salvador looking to exchange dollars for Bitcoin at a better price. A pipeline of Bitcoin into El Salvador and dollars out is the expected result. The opposite outcome of Gresham's law. This is generally known as Thier's law, which states that good money drives out bad money when there is no enforcement of a fixed exchange rate. 
Thier's uh, law is more or less the explanation of why an emergent money would replace the existing relatively worse money. The law in El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender will be interesting to watch. Legal tender laws almost always come with a fixed exchange rate and force a bad money into circulation. And this is different. It goes without saying that legal tender laws are immoral and even unnecessary in a healthy society and economy. But after a period of potentially bumpy onboarding, will this law be moot because Bitcoin is the money that would ultimately be chosen by the people of El Salvador in an unfettered market? Is this purely a case of government interference in the market, or are we seeing a government clunkily deal with the re realities of a truly sound money? Austrians ought to keep a curious eye on El Salvador and Bitcoin in general as we finally look poised to test our theories on how money works and how a new money emerges. Damn, that's pretty good, man. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities uh, oil is down slightly, but that was after a pretty big rally across the board in flammable liquids yesterday, and it was pretty severe, dude. Uh, oil is down right now 0.44 of a percentage point, but it's West Texas is clocking in at $78.58 a barrel, yo. Brent North Sea, likewise, down almost the same, but it's coming in at $82.24 a barrel. But the big story was natural gas late in the late in the day yesterday, which rallied by nine to ten percent. Right now, it's up one third of a point to get this six dollars and thirty two cents MCF. <laughs> Jeez, God dang man, gasoline is down three quarters of a point, however, to two dollars and thirty four cents a gallon on the futures market. All of shiny, shiny metal rocks are down and it looks pretty bad. Gold getting the least bad treatment at being down by half a point to $1,752. Silver down one and a third points. Platinum is down one and a third. Copper is down a little over one point and palladium getting hit square between the legs. 2.02 points to the downside. Agricultural futures are mixed, and the big winner here, cotton. Four and a half points to the upside. Holy shit. Everything else is sub one point except for chocolate, which is down a little over one full point. Let's see. The, oh, oh, the markets are going to be a bloodbath today. So, <clears throat> yeah, CNBC should uh, uh, prove to be some good television entertainment for all the people that are crying. Dow futures are down a one full point. S&P futures are down point, or sorry, actually 1.21%. NASDAQ futures down 1.38%. And the S&P mini is down 1.25%. Real money has a price of $51,257 with 307,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 12,800 transactions every hour on the hour with 910,000 BTC being sent in the last 24-hour period. Well, that is uh, 37,900 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 3 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.015 BTC or $744. Block time is 9 minutes and 21 seconds. 
we are taking a 0.1 BTC in fees on a per block basis and 15.7 BTC in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 6.57% jump in hash rate, we're at 161 exa hashes per second. China was a blip. I'm going to say it again. China was a blip. In Bitcoin's life, China is going to end up going into history as a blip on Bitcoin's mining and regulatory landscape history. 161 exahashes is is not exactly an all-time high, but we're right back to where we were before China decided to pull out the gun from their holster, load it, make sure it was clean, and then proceed to shoot themselves in the head because that's exactly what they did. Your shitcoin indicator, however, is sitting at 25 cents or one full U.S. quarter of a U.S. dollar. It's not worth it. It's just not. I'm sorry. 1,100 transactions are waiting on one block to clear in uh, Clark Moody's mempool. Uh, We have $969.5 billion of market capitalization, which is a full 8.44% of gold's entire market cap. And if you want 29.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks, you can flip one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,836,304.00 BTC in circulation. And 2,989 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of now $153.9 million, being run over 15,740 nodes with 73,907 payment channels. 74.1% of all of this on the Lightning Network is now being run over Tor. So the Tor capacity is 2,213.85 of those BTC. And we are running them over 10,347 nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Yahoo Finance has this one. Tueta Franjevic is writing it. Bitcoin set to become legal payment in Brazil. Right, legal payment, not legal tender. There's a difference. Let's find out if he picks it up. Brazil's federal deputy, Ario Ribeiro, <clears throat> I know I butchered his name. I'm sorry, guys has revealed that Brazilians could soon be able to buy houses, cars, and McDonald's with Bitcoin. The South American nation is preparing to vote on a cryptocurrency regulation bill, which is expected to be presented to the plenary of the Chamber of Deputies within the next few days. Quote, we want to separate the wheat from the chaff, create regulations, excuse me, create regulations so that you can trade, know where you're buying, and know who you're dealing with. With Roberio said, quote, with this asset, you will be able to buy a house, a car, go to McDonald's to buy a hamburger. It will be a currency in the country as it happened in other countries, end quote. Bill 2.303-15, which calls for the regulation of virtual currencies, was approved for presentation last week. If it gets the thumbs up from the Chamber of Deputies this week, then Brazil looks set to follow El Salvador's example and make Bitcoin legal tender. Okay. That needs to be clarified. Is it a payment or is it a legal payment or is it a legal tender? Right? There are There is a difference and I wish they'd go into that, but whatever. 
Brazil's deputy said he was happy with the approval of Bitcoin law and stressed that Brazilians were already facing Bitcoin in many places with the possibility of buying, selling, and investing in the sector. However, Ario noted that the market was still not regulated and as such does not offer legal recognition. He said that he was sure though that with the approval of the bill, several more countries could copy his country's regulatory model. Quote, we debated a few years for a text that recognizes this asset to finally arrive, he explained. He continued, this will allow transactions of this asset in our country, which will be regulated by a government agency. <clears throat> Quote, we already made an agreement with both the Central Bank and the Securities and Exchange Commission of Brazil over opportunities of this asset and its recognition within, for example, real estate value or currency of daily use, end quote. Ario said he was convinced that the proposed bill's text has the quality to improve the reality of Bitcoin in Brazil. He was keen to stress that the bill had widespread government support and had already been aligned with the president of the Chamber of Deputies, Arthur Lira, meaning that there are few further barriers to its approval. Research by Sherlock Communications using the research platform Toluna showed that 48% of Brazilians want Bitcoin adoption with 31% agreeing and 17% strongly agreeing. Yeah, wow, okay. So again, probably just a fad, right guys? I mean, you know, Brazil probably gonna follow in the footsteps of El Salvador, surely. Nobody else in Latin America could be contemplating the use of Bitcoin, or could they? Colombia could use waterfalls to produce Bitcoin, not cocaine, says Senator Petro. This is Decrypt, Matthew DeSalvo. A high-profile Colombian politician has suggested the country look to El Salvador for inspiration and mine Bitcoin using renewable energy, probably just a fad, instead of producing cocaine. Gustavo Petro, a leftist senator, retweeted a story about El Salvador President Nayib Bukele announcing that the country had started mining Bitcoin using volcanic energy and commented, What if the Pacific coast took advantage of the steep falls of the rivers of the western mountains to produce all the energy of the coast and replace cocaine with energy for cryptocurrencies? Let me go through that last part of the sentence again. What if we use the steep falls of the rivers of the Western mountains to produce the energy of the coast and replace cocaine with energy for cryptocurrencies? Ford and Buckminster Fuller's version or vision of a currency based on electricity is now going to replace their major export of cocaine. Or if they get this done, that's what he wants. That's what he's saying. And that's important to understand. Replace cocaine with energy for cryptocurrency. Just saying, man. President Bukele, who made Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador last month, claims the Central American nation will bind, mine Bitcoin using geothermal power from volcanoes. Bitcoin mining is the process. We know the process, dude. Petro, a front runner of Colombia's presidential election next year, added via Twitter that virtual currency is pure information and therefore energy god my god see he gets it holy shit and he's a front runner for colombia's presidential election next year and he understands that virtual currency is pure information and therefore energy continuing it wasn't clear 
what Petro meant, but Latin America energy policy analyst Wesley Tomaselli told Decrypt that the senator was referring to the potential of Colombia's Pacific coast to use renewable energy. Quote, he's right in that Colombia has great potential for Bitcoin mining because about three-fourths of its electricity generation comes from hydroelectric power. The problem is Petro appears to be selling Bitcoin mining as an alternative model for development to cocoa growing and cocaine shipments. It's not, unless Petro has a magic wand. Bullshit, I think it can. Colombia is the world's largest producer of cocaine, according to the United Nations, and its Pacific coast is where a lot of the cocoa uh, the drug's uh, base ingredient is grown, or coca. The Pacific Coast is also a potential renewable energy hotspot. Colombia's severe Andean mountain geography and river system make it prime for hydroelectric power generation, said Tomaselli. But he added that mega projects in the area have grown less popular here because of resistance from environmentalists who see them as damaging to local communities and ecosystems. Petro's communications team did not immediately respond to Decrypt's request for comment. Judy Castro Sierra, who advises Colombia's government on blockchain technology, said on Twitter that Petro's idea was absurd. El Salvador's government has said that it will use only renewable and clean energy to produce the currency, an idea that has been both praised by Bitcoin believers and slammed by the Bukele critics. Could Colombia be next? Oh, gee, I don't know. Brazil is probably going to be next. Argentina is a good bet. Latin America, the continent of Africa, the Baltics, the Balkans, and way Eastern Europe. Those are the five places on the planet that you need to be watching. Everybody else is in the midst of a clown show, in a dumpster fire, in a clown world. Oh my God. SEC Chair Gensler says a ban on crypto would be up to Congress. U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler told Congress on Tuesday that the SEC has no plans to ban crypto. When asked by Representative Ted Budd, a longtime crypto supporter and member of the Congressional Blockchains Caucus, if the SEC had any plans to follow China's lead in banning cryptocurrency in favor of a progressive central bank digital currency, Gensler said no, that would be up to Congress. Gensler's assertion that the SEC does not plan to ban crypto mirrors similar remarks made by Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell last week when the central bank head told the House Financial Services Committee that the Fed had no plans to ban the $2.2 trillion asset class. Questions from Congress about the SEC's efforts to regulate crypto come amid a growing debate on Capitol Hill about how the industry and its various parts, including exchanges and stablecoins, should be regulated. During Tuesday's four-hour hearing, Gensler fielded questions about cryptocurrency, stablecoins, the regulation of exchanges, and decentralized finance. Gensler mostly reiterated his previous thoughts on crypto regulation, including the need for exchanges to come in and register with the SEC, the potential systemic risk posed by stablecoins, and the need for them to be subject to increased regulation, and that most cryptocurrencies fall under the definition of a security. Yes, they do. If you're holding anything but Bitcoin, you're probably holding a security. However, Gensler also explained on his understanding of the SEC's authority to regulate the crypto industry. When asked by Representative Jim Himes to provide guidance on the topic of crypto regulation, Gensler reiterated his previous position that crypto exchanges needed to register with the SEC, but added that decentralized exchanges would also be subject to regulations. 
Quote, even in decentralized platforms, so-called DeFi platforms, there is a centralized protocol. And though they don't take custody in the same way as centralized exchanges, I think those are the places where we can get the maximum amount of public policy. Gensler also explained on his stance of stablecoins, which he has previously called the poker chips at the crypto casino. <laughs> Gensler doubled down on his poker chip analogy during his response to several questions, adding that he viewed stablecoins as a systemic risk to the economy. The $125 billion of stablecoins that we have right now are like poker chips at a casino. I do think that if this continues to grow, and it's grown about tenfold in the last year, it can present those systemic-wide risks, Gensler said. The statement comes a day after Coindesk first reported that USDC stablecoin issuer Circle was served with an investigative subpoena from the SEC's Enforcement Division back in July. So there you go. I mean, Gensler is, honestly, and I said this a lot, all of the altcoins, all the shitcoins, and all this DeFi mess are ablative armor to Bitcoin. They are going, if you look like you can't be regulated, they are looking at you and they are going to regulate you. Because if you look like you can be regulated, you will be regulated. Right? So Bitcoin stands in the middle and everything came out of Bitcoin. Right, all the altcoins, all of the ICOs, every so Bitcoin stands in the center and basically cloned a whole bunch of itself in different various guises and formats for one purpose and one purpose only to take the full force and brunt of the developed world's regulatory landscape. And when they're done wasting their energy on all the shitcoins, only Bitcoin will remain. It is up to us to keep it decentralized. It is up to us to teach our children <clears throat> to keep it decentralized and their children's children. At what point does Bitcoin in your mind become a legacy that you leave to your children? Not just the coin, little b Bitcoin, but the network and what it represents, the big B Bitcoin. At what time in your day today will you think, holy shit, after I'm gone, how am I sure that my kids are not going to do something stupid and, and try to increase the, the, the number of Bitcoin? And if there's enough of them around the world, oh my God, so yeah. <clears throat> it's not that it's, I'm not saying that that's actually really all that possible. I'm just saying we've got to start thinking now about how we talk to our children of the importance of this network that we're building today. We're the first generation Bitcoiners, y'all. My children are the second, are second generation Bitcoiners, right? I mean, <clears throat> it's up to us. We've got to make sure that they respect the network the way that, the way that we respect the network, right? We have to do that. We have to try because if we all die and we did not leave something of the importance of, of this network and why it needs to survive, well, then we don't know, we don't really know what happens in the future, do we? So teach your children, teach your children well. Oh, Evolved Apes NFT creator allegedly absconds with 2.7 million in the annals of who could have guessed. We have Osado Ava Nemoyo writing it for Cointelegraph. Investors in Evolved Apes, a recently launched PFP, short for Profile Picture, non-fungible token project, are grappling with the disappearance of the project's anonymous developer. Who could have guessed? 
Going by the moniker Evil Ape, the developer has allegedly lived up to the name by vanishing with 798 Ethereum worth over $2.7 million from the project's coffers. The reportedly stolen funds covered both of the money realized from the initial minting process and the ETH traded in the secondary sale of the NFTs on the OpenSea marketplace. Indeed, Evolved Apes has been one of the hyped NFT mints recently, with the 10,000-strong collection reportedly selling out in 10 minutes and the floor price rising steadily following the swift sale. However, the project storefront on OpenSea shows a tanked floor price of 0.005 ETH, significantly lower than the original minting cost. <clears throat> the decline in the floor price is no doubt linked to the current rug pool scandal rocking the project. Apart from allegedly siphoning all of the project's money, Evil Ape, <clears throat> Evil Ape also took down the Evolved Ape's Twitter account and the website. Jesus. Before absconding with $2.7 million, Evil Ape and the project's creators had promised to ship a blockchain fighting game, a common promise amongst several Avatar-style NFT developers. Some members of the community have come together to continue the development of the project under the umbrella of Fight Back Apes. The entities behind the new faction say they wish to create a more community-centric operating model for the project, including a multi-sig wallet to prevent the repeat of another Evil Ape debacle. Which Evil Ape still receiving the 4% royalties on secondary sales? The current plan is to create a new project that will airdrop new EF NFTs to the current holders. NFTs have arguably dominated discourse in the crypto space in 2021 with massive platforms such as OpenSea recording massive trading volumes. Given the popularity of NFTs, it is perhaps unsurprising to see alleged rogue actors like Evil Ape attempting to con unsuspecting victims. We told you. We told you. And again, as always, we were labeled as toxic Bitcoin maximalists. Sorry for trying to help a brother out. You know what? If you want to get your ass scammed, you go right ahead. Oh, God dang, man, dude. Okay, let's see about. No, that's going to be entirely too long. We can't do that one. We will, however, end the morning roundup with this one. BIS outlines how stable coins could comply with international money standards. Coindesk, Sandali Handagama is writing it. The Bank for International Settlements, or BIS, says stablecoin payment systems should comply with international sta uh, standards for payment, clearing, and settlement. A new report published on Wednesday by the BIS Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructures and the International Organization of Securities Commissions includes preliminary guidance on how to apply the principles for financial market infrastructures to stablecoin arrangements. The CPMI and IOSCO have invited the public to make general comments and answer a set of questions laid out in the document on the clarity of the report. Responses can be emailed to the CPMI and IOSCO secretariats by December the 1st. Financial regulatory agencies around the world are showing increasing interest in regulating stablecoins. The U.S. is working towards creating a federal-level framework for stablecoin issuers. China's central bank is concerned private stablecoins can throw financial systems out of balance. Last month, the head of the European Central Bank, Felon Christine Lagarde, said stablecoins are not currencies but assets and should be regulated accordingly. 
The published guidance does not aim to create additional standards on stablecoin arrangements, which, according to the European Central Bank, are payment systems insofar as they permit the transfer of value between stablecoin holders. The guidance applies to systemically important stablecoin arrangements and the regulators who follow BIS recommendations, the report said. Systematically important financial institutions are those whose failure can set off a financial crisis. The report offers guidance on these types of stablecoin arrangements under four key principles, governance, risk management, settlement finality, and money settlements. Quote, a stablecoin used by a system, a system, a system, system, systemically important for money settlements should have little or no credit or liquidity risk, the report says. It goes on to say that when stablecoin arrangements go about assessing the risk of a stablecoin, it should be noted if the stablecoin provides its holders with a direct legal claim on the issuer as well as the title to or interest in the underlying reserve assets for timely convertibility at par into liquid other assets or rather other liquid assets, sorry. A BIS press release said that each jurisdiction can decide whether to permit stablecoin activity and if it does allow it and if the arrangement is or has the potential to be systemic, then the PFMI would apply as instructed in the issued guidance, the statement said. Noting that features and functions of stablecoin arrangements could evolve, some issues in the report could require further clarification and study in the coming years, according to the BIS statement. So there you go. If you look like you can be regulated, what have I said? Oh, you will be regulated. You will. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. I got a dad says joke for you. My girlfriend treats me like a god. She ignores my existence and only talks to me when she needs something. Yeah, we should probably stop treating God that way, unless you're just a flat-ass atheist, and that's fine. Hey, you want to be an atheist, you, you go right ahead. But if you are like somebody who believes in God, we probably should uh, stop ignoring the existence of God and, and asking only when we, you know, asking for shit when we need it. Uh, you know, eh, we got each other for that, honestly. And speaking of, if you want to help out the show and, you know, make, uh, make this, help me make this my life, then there's a couple of ways to do that. Uh, five-star reviews on uh, Apple iTunes and tweeting, you know, getting the word out, like through Twitter and people make, you know, making people aware of the show's existence. Uh, you can also stream sats to me through the Breeze Wallet while you listen to the podcast. I have a Patreon. It's Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. You can find it there. And lastly, if you want to tip me through Twitter, I have tips activated. So there you go. But what have we learned today, boys and girls? We've learned that the winds are blowing and it's the people of the world that are blowing in the same direction causing that wind. We have all basically, I think we're all at this point where we're, we're just kind of stopping what we're doing and we're all looking in the same direction and we've all decided to put our lips together and blow and it's causing the winds to change. And those winds are affecting banks at, the, at a major scale. They're affecting governments on a not so major scale, depends on how you look at it. The fact that they had to spend time dra drafting all these bills for, you know, regulations and whatnot. And they're like having 
conference and, and session after session after session where there's constantly talking about this shit means that we've, we've gone way beyond grabbing their attention. We've got third world countries that are on the cusp of not being third world countries anymore. Almost all of Latin America is going to fall pretty much in the next year as far as fiat currencies are concerned. And, and I don't mean they're like you know, fiat currencies hyperinflating. I think they're going to adopt Bitcoin. I think El Salvador led the way. I think we're looking at a brand new Latin America and it's probably going, the start of that has already happened, but we're going to see the real fireworks go off here in probably, I don't know, I'm going to give it two years. I'm going to be fairly non-conservative. I think a conservative estimate would be five years and beyond. But I, I guarantee you this, no matter whether you're being you know, bullish or conservative, in 10 years, Latin America is going to look completely different than the Latin America that you see today. I, I can't wait personally. Because there's always been something about LATAM that I, I just, I don't know why. I don't, like, I've been to Mexico City once, right? I haven't, like, really gone to Latin America, but there's just something about, there's something about, there's a mystique about it. And a lot of that came from doing a lot of reading of novels by novelists that were Latin American novelists. From uh, Allende in Chile and some people like uh, Artemio Cruz. Uh, the, I've read a lot of Latin American authors, and there is a magic <clears throat> that they see in Latin America, and it comes through in their books. So I trust the fact that there's probably a magic there, and I cannot wait for that magic to collide with the technolog technological magic of Bitcoin and see what falls out of that. Because what does fall out of that is not going to bode well for developed nations that refuse to get on board and sail on the ship that is being blown across the sea to new places by the wind that we are generating. The people of the world have had fucking enough. I'm done with it. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.